The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others. Welcome to the Examine Life podcast. Today, we're going to be tackling the issue what is it like to live abroad for long periods of time? How does living abroad shape our perspective of the world, or how does living abroad change you as an individual? We're going to be looking at the challenges like the black sheep syndrome, the culture shock roller coaster, the embracing and rejecting of culture, and even things like marrying someone out of your culture. In what ways are we, are we disadvantaged? In what ways have we grown? In what ways has living abroad shape us, uh, add value, help us grow as an individual? Also, what do you lose? What do you sacrifice when you live in another country for long periods of time? The dark side of living abroad. John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what do you do, and what country are you living in right now? All right. Thanks. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, and yeah, uh, a topic near and dear to my heart. Uh, so yeah, my name is John Fanaro, and I'm from a uh, uh, Alaska, which is in the Northwest United States, um, really far Northwest actually. And uh, a very beautiful place uh, surrounded by nature, um, pretty diverse culture. Um, and I come from my background, uh, nation, I guess uh, ethnically would be Latino uh, and Italian. So I've kind of like considered myself like a diverse or open-minded individual. Um, I'm about, I'm 42 years old. And uh, now I'm, uh, after traveling a lot and living in various places, I'm now settled in Thailand. So I've been here for about three and a half years with, a you know, married with children now with a child. Uh, so, yep, in Thailand. So I think it's 12 hours different from you. Okay, cool. Tell me about Alaska, because when I think about Alaska, I think of beautiful nature, rivers, forest, just really rich, uh, untouched virgin lands. Uh, is it like that? Tell me about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I grew up in an igloo and I played with polar bears growing up. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Alaska is very big, uh, so there's a lot of different regions in it, very wild. It's mostly wild, but there are some pretty advanced cities. So I come from the capital city, Juneau, Alaska, which is far southeast. Uh, it's called the Alaskan Panhandle, and we grow up with mountains to our back and the ocean channels uh, to our front, uh, also uh, separated by more mountains. So we are in deep valleys. Um, and always in the shadow of a mountain. Um, and, you know, we, it's just animals outnumber people by far. Um, and it's a rainforest. So I would like to mention that it is a temperate rainforest. So it's not the typical Alaska that people think when they see movies or watch, you know, look in magazines where it's all like Arctic all the time. Uh, that's why I made the joke that I grew up in igloos. Um, igloos are actually temporary houses for the, the Inuit hunters. So they don't even live in those, uh, those houses permanently. It's a, a hunting uh, lodge, so to speak. But yeah, so I come from far southeast Alaska. I mean, we are the capital of salmon. We have some of the greatest uh, fish, salmon, halibut, trout, cod uh, in the world. Um, we do have a lot of bears, a lot of wildlife, uh, deer. Um, we don't have a lot of moose, 
in, in, in Southeast Alaska, but we do uh, have a lot of deer, a lot of porcupine, a lot of bear. We have wolves, um, black and gray, and, uh, and it's a pretty fascinating place. I grew up like in the view of a glacier. So you can just see the glacier from many parts of the valley, just from your home uh, or driving down the road. It's just sitting there. Um, and it's a place that people, we go, you know, to socialize. Some people go there. It's a family place, but there is a lot of bears over there. So you have to be careful, but um, yeah, man. So that's life, right? It's, it's a lot simpler than what I'm doing now. I'm living in Bangkok now, which is a megatropolis, you know, and uh, I come from the opposite. Now we do have like big 10, 12 story, 13, 14 story buildings, uh, but just a couple of them. Most of them are about two to three stories. Um, uh so we don't, we try not to obstruct the views, <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, I grew up with Northern lights. Uh, we see that on the regular. So I think because of that, I have a very strong imagination, a passion for nature, um, respect for nature. And I do like peace and quiet sometimes, you know, it's just, yeah, that's incredible. And when, when people think like I'm from Australia and people think that, you know, Australians are living like that with, you know, fresh rivers and, and mountains and wildlife, but it sounds like you grew up in something much more, um, much more extreme or, or much, much more immersed in nature and had that real connection with nature. And I think that's a, that's a, obviously a beautiful thing. So how do you feel in, where are you living now? Uh, I live in Samut Prakan, but that's just, it's basically Bangkok. It's a, uh, it's, it's the bordering, department. So I'm on the border of Bangkok. I work in Bangkok. We do most of our stuff in Bangkok. We are basically, it is greater Bangkok, but it has its own, uh, what do you call it? Provincial um, districts. Uh, districts. There you go. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. So it must be like a huge contrast to have grown up in Juno. And then now you're living in one of the, the biggest capital cities in the world. How does that feel to be in that, in that kind of concrete jungle? Oh, it can be overwhelming sometimes. There's things I appreciate about it. I have lived in cities around the United States, so I have lived in big cities. Um, but uh, to be like here this long of a period, uh, it it has its ups and downs. But I'll tell you what, I'm always already planning on getting out of Bangkok. And I have been. We've bought a home, but it's just so we can save and build equity so that we can sell it and then get the heck out of here, man. <laughs> because... You know, Juneau is the third largest city in Alaska, and it's only 35,000 people, actually less than that. So you can just imagine how small that is, that population. Uh, so, yeah, man, there's things I like about it. I hate the traffic. Uh, there's a lot of smog and pollution, just people everywhere all the time and not enough green space. So I have mixed feelings, but I think that there's a lot more. Well, I like I said, I want to get out of here. I would get out of here today if I could, um, because it's just overwhelming. I mean, over 8 million people, uh, and that doesn't include Samuprakan. Uh, so it's it's a huge me megatropolis, right? I think it's the same as you're living in Bogota, correct? Yes. I mean, I'm in Bogota in Colombia, and it's, it's kind of the same. It's a bit of a concrete jungle, and it does feel yeah. overwhelming and a bit of pollution. Um, you know, lots of people density, and it's it's the exact opposite of what you've described living in Juno, where you're connected with nature. I, I, I imagine that you understand the currency of of living in, with nature, and it's probably quite fulfilling for you because you've had that. You know, you've grown up, you know, being able to hike in the mountains. You know, the the smells, the tastes. You know, the um, being around different animals, respecting nature. It's 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 a obviously 
a pretty cool experience growing up. Um, but you're in Thailand, Bangkok, and what are you doing there for work? And how are you making a living surviving in this in this concrete jungle that is the beautiful Bangkok? Uh, so I work at a private school. It's a we call it a bilingual school, but they have a Chinese program, and Chinese is actually a requirement, uh, a required course throughout from uh, first through twelfth grade. Um, but English uh, is also very big. So those are the two main would be uh, Thai and English. Uh, so I teach English um, to eighth and ninth grades. Um, and yeah, I love what I do um, as a teacher for sure. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, puts the food on the table and keeps the roof over our heads. Yeah. Okay. So was that the reason why you decided to live abroad or was there something else that was attracting you to, to immerse yourself into other cultures? No, I, uh, actually, no, teaching abroad was never the, the, the driving factor. It was my curiosity for the different cultures of the world. Um, I've always had a big respect for um, a large you know, amount of like respect for the, the various cultures around the world. Like I said, I'm Italian and Puerto Rican, you know, and I grew up in Alaska. So, you know, I've always like known that I was kind of different um, in some ways. Um, and because my, I'm, my mom's from Puerto Rico, we'd go to Puerto Rico. I've been to Puerto Rico probably six, seven times in my life and I love it. And I think it was those experiences, right? Like that sharp contrast from the great Northwest, cold and dark in the winters and extremely beautiful and natural, uh, but rocky beaches, right? Uh, to going to the Caribbean uh, where it's tropical islands, you know, white sand, pink sand beaches, palm trees, uh, man, Alcopurria, a bunch of different foods, right? Pasteles. And so I had this, uh, I was just born into uh, a diverse uh, a cultural experience, I guess, you know, and like I said, Alaska is very diverse. Uh, so we have a lot, about 10% uh, of Juno's population is uh, uh, just Filipino. And then you still have a lot of Vietnamese, Chinese. So we have these amazing restaurants. We live and work and play with people from all over the world. So this was just my catalyst, right? And then I started traveling. I had to get to Italy. And once I got to Europe, I just, my eyes started opening up more and more and my passion started growing to see the world. Um, yeah. So I would say that's most of it. Um, and I, you know, I started to realize that the United States, you know, though it's big, we have a very, uh, a very limited perspective on the world and being the power that we are, we, we tend to think that we're better. Uh, we've got it all figured out. Right. But what I found was as I kept going, uh, checking, you know, countries off my list, <laughs> uh, I started to realize that, no, we don't have it all figured out. Uh, there, everybody has a unique uh, powerful perspective and everybody does something right. Um, and every country does something better than the United States does just maybe one or two things, but that's what I started to notice. Every time I'd go back to the States, it was that kind of ignorance, you know, that closed mindedness. And I just kept wanting to get away from it. I really wanted to get away. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. Um, so you, you had this concept of what it means to be like a global citizen, I guess, earlier than maybe some other people because of your identity. So you had this Hispanic and you had this European identity as well, which is an interesting mix. So already you had maybe a concept of what it would be like to, to or maybe a curiosity or an understanding of uh, 
what is it what does it mean to be uh, from another place and and not restricted to one uh, nationality or identity uh, and do you feel like this I can really relate to this to be honest and do you feel like when you would you travel to different countries like it was just an expansion of knowledge or wisdom or culture or all of that what kind of what happened inside of you was it an appreciation um, or like just a wonder and gratitude when you were, when you started traveling when you were talking about opening up your eyes, how would you explain that to someone that's never traveled? Oh, that's a really good question. And um, I started like becoming more skeptical about what I was trained and taught and educated in growing up, you know, and the perspectives uh, that surrounded me. Um, I started finding uh, that there were things I appreciated much more. Like let's use Europe as an example. Um, the family values, you know, that you'll find in many parts of Europe, especially the Mediterranean area, um, uh, were very profound, a lot different than my own. Um, and, you know, the United States is extremely individualistic. Um, and so that was part of it. I started to see that other, um, you know, economies worked, you know, it wasn't just capitalism that worked, but there were also socialist countries that were doing a great job that I got to witness. Um, people seemed happier in the world, you know, in Europe, in, in Latin America, even in Asia, people seem happier. And so this was something that just like kept making me question, what is it? Why are some Americans or as a big nation, why are we kind of more unhappy? What is happening? Uh, and so it was this, I kept searching for what was making others happier and what was making us less happy. And it always boiled back down to family, right? And community. Uh, so a lot of these nations are more uh, communal, um, whereas the United States is an individualistic society, uh, which I think uh, social animals shouldn't be dividing themselves like that. And I think, yeah. So that was that was part of it. I hope I answered your question. It was a pretty good uh, long question. I don't know if I got to all the points. Uh, yeah, that's, but, a, that's okay. Like, I think you answered the part that was probably most important. It seems like you felt like you almost lied to as, as a citizen, like, you know, this, this idea that, you know, as a country, we are like, I don't want to say superior, but we are, you know, maybe the best or that everything is great here. And there is, there is no need to look elsewhere. And maybe there's no need to explore because you have everything that you need to have uh, in your own country. And then when you go somewhere else, maybe, uh, we we see maybe a different system culturally, but see the value in that is perhaps. Um, yeah, that's interesting. But, you know, a lot of people don't leave their countries. A lot of people don't leave the United States. I think 30% of people have passports or something. Right? It's just this, you know, and I guess it's the, the human. I'd like community. to say that 30% have passports now, but that's because Canada and Mexico now require passports. And just 20 years ago, it was closer to like 10%. Uh, Americans did not travel outside of North America. Uh, I mean, the mass majority never got out. And I'd say the mass majority also never went to Canada or Mexico. You know, the United States is huge. So you can go to Hawaii for a tropical vacation. You can go to California. You can go to Florida, Texas. You can go. It's big. But this really created a narrow, I believe, this is my opinion. So I hope I don't offend my uh, my country, but, you know, a narrow 
uh, perspective. You know, it's like we have horse blinders on. And, you know, you said the word superior and you you were kind of hesitant to use that. But I think a lot of Americans, uh, United States Americans, do think of themselves as superior because we keep telling ourselves that, right? It's our story that we're the saving grace. We are the beacon on the hill. Uh, we go around the world and correct nations that are behaving badly and we make them better countries. You know, we promote democracy and capitalism, free trade. So, so we're told absolutely that we are better. Well, yeah. And a lot of great things have come out of the United States and a lot of ideas and, you know, have come out and a lot of powerful intellectual people and, and the, you know, the society and they're out the, you, know, you can't neglect that there's been, Lots, you know, it's it's it, the United States is a powerful uh, reckoning in the world, economic, you know, economically, militarily, and it, there's lots of great things that come out and has its own culture. So, um, yeah. but I guess you know it's interesting that you say people have blinkers on, and and I imagine that's you know that's part of nationalism, right? That's, that's something we all suffer from it at some degree. All countries suffer from. You know, I know it happens in Australia. Um, I guess to link that back with. The listener and people that haven't traveled and people that you know maybe find it difficult to really understand these ideas that you're communicating because they haven't been in other countries. Um, what would you tell them about why it's awesome to live in Thailand and you know living in a, a developing country where it's it doesn't have the infrastructure or economic power as 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 the United States, but like what makes living in Thailand awesome? I guess what awesome? What makes it great? What do you enjoy about it? Uh, what do you think makes it worthwhile? Um, all right, good. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would tell people that um, you can read it, right? You can read about countries in a book. You can watch them on television uh, and you can get a good idea and understanding. In fact, that's how I got my uh, my my initial knowledge for a lot of the places I visited, right? I did research and I learned about the culture. I learned about the religions, but nothing can replace being immersed for an extended period of time. Uh, this is where you truly learn to understand um, a culture, right? Um, so um, I would recommend that people travel and ex for longer periods of time so that they can uh, experience that kind of loneliness that happens throughout our life, uh, even when we're at home, right? We have these moments of, of solitude and uh, restlessness and just you know, the daily grind, going home after work. Um, so I'd recommend that people get out and travel and do that. Um, but uh, I would tell people that I've learned a lot and that I do love living abroad because I'm challenged every single day uh, to uh, reflect on, you know, my culture and my uh, personality and my own thoughts and beliefs and biases and opinions. Um, I'm challenged on a daily level. Now, I do want to say this could be and is uncomfortable for many people, uh, but I believe that getting out of our comfort zone is where the most growth happens uh, in our life. And so, I love living here. The people are nice. Uh, the mass majority of people are nice. I love the, you know, the access to food, uh, the, the, the affordability of um, transportation and things to do. And, you know, I live, I grew up with cathedrals, right? And small churches and cathedrals. And um, now I'm surrounded by temples and mosques, you know, and I, I find this 
fascinating from architecture to um, just the customs and ceremonies, right, are so drastically different than anything I've ever seen. Um, so, I, yeah, I love it because it's challenging me um, every day and I'm learning every single day. And I'm not just learning about Thai culture. Um, I'm learning about myself. You know, I'm really being forced to reflect on the regular. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like you mentioned to me before, you had um, like a minor in anthropology that you studied at university. And it's really interesting that you sort of like saying that it challenges you. Like, I'd really like to know, like, what aspect does it challenge you? Because I live abroad too. And is it is it your patience? Is it your tolerance? Is it your cultural um cultural tolerance is it when we do do we compare in our brains like ah oh, in the states or in australia it's like this but here it's you know it's things don't work the same way um is it religious uh is, is it is it are you being challenged on a, on a religious or, or cultural mentality ideological well, what do you think about living in a country really makes us is it or is it your inherent biases you know about how we treat people and how we think that the world should be or or even like how we deal with individual circumstances and you know when you meet someone are you thinking things that perhaps you know we you know we're making judgments about people that because i know i do that sometimes on the street like i, I look at someone and go, that person's are probably really poor and I, and I think to myself why would you say that to yourself you know and you, i'm making judgments about this person i don't know them right and then i, I you know so what in what way are you most challenged is what i'm asking well, that's a great question. And um, I'm challenged in the most way, uh, the, in the biggest way I'm challenged is that I have to question myself, right? Because like you said, I, I have a, a degree, a minor degree uh, in cultural anthropology. And I've, uh, because of that, I, I love culture. And I told you I'm Puerto Rican and Italian. So I've reached out to those cultures and I've started to be, I feel like, develop this uh, global citizenry, you know, like you were saying, this global identity uh, and a connection to um, cultures and starting to want to learn more and more. Um, but the challenge truly comes. So I, the challenge comes because I have always thought of myself as a super open-minded individual. I know more than others do because I have, you know, <laughs> uh, a mixed blood, uh, mixed experiences. I'm well-traveled and I read a lot. I read a ton about history and culture and religion and this and that. But, but it's funny. I started to realize, so there's the roller coasters, right? So I have these moments of great experiences, but then I have these darker moments where, you know, I've caught myself being judgmental, you know, like, and this is really something I never thought I was, you know, I would like to think that I'm the most open-minded accepting individual in the world, but I'm definitely not. Like what I've learned is that I carry my culture with me, you know, I was born and raised with these values and these ways of doing things. And I think that my brain just developed in that, in that sense. So I'll find myself judging people based on their, you know, in Thailand, I've been here for three and a half years and I traveled here before that. Um, and I feel like I still find myself criticizing the way people do things um, and uh, customs 
and certain things like that, you know? Um, and it's just because I've been trained a certain way and it's hard to shake that man. Once, once you have those, that, that foundation built, um, uh, built for you, um, and those walls put up around you that tearing them down is, I wouldn't say only hard. I would say in some regard, it's almost impossible. I don't want to use the word impossible because I don't believe in impossible. But like I said, I, I have these moments where I'm 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 very judgmental towards uh, uh, you know specific aspects of the Thai culture, and we can get into specifics. But that is what challenges me the most is realizing that I'm not as good as I thought I was. I was I'm not as all loving and kind and accepting as I thought I was. And so this challenges me every day. Now I have to address these things. Now I have to become better. I have to be more accepting. I have to know that I'm uh, different, you know? So I'll give you uh, one last question because you mentioned the uh, one last example because you uh, mentioned uh, the black sheep syndrome that I've spoken about. And, you know, that's the thing is like, I've never, you know, growing up in Alaska as a Latino wasn't that big of a deal. Like it's a pretty accepting place. And I knew I was a little bit different, but where I'm at now is I am different and everybody knows it. And I feel that we are singled out at times, not like violently, not like this. Okay. Not like, but we're, you know, there's the double standard of pricing. So we're charged more for everything. Um, not everything. Sorry. Let me take that back. We're charged more for uh, a variety of things, including like parks. Um, you know, so this is something like the Thai people know that they, you know, their government knows that they're pretty impoverished. It's a dev uh, developing nation. So, you know, the minimum wage here is probably about $350. So going to a national park, you know, my wife will get in for 40 baht, which is like $1.20, where I will get in for 400 baht, which is 10 times the amount. And these are the things that eat at me, right? I, 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 I bring my work permit and I say, hey, look, I pay taxes too. And, and they just shake it off. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're a foreigner. You, you don't belong here. So you're going to pay 10%. Now, I don't know if that's their thinking, but they definitely don't give me the discount at national parks because I've tried many times different parks. And so that's just one example of the black sheep. I feel like we stick out. Uh, and then there's a different standard for the Thai people as there are for us. So this is what I'm talking about, my own personal challenging myself. Like, how do I accept these things? Because if I look at it from a Thai perspective, yeah, Thai people shouldn't, they should be able to go for free, right? This is their land. This is their country. Um, and I guess tourists maybe should have to pay a little fee, right? Because um, they don't pay taxes, but that's my, that is my, that is my, uh, I guess my issue. That's the shady part is that I do pay taxes and I pay a lot of taxes. <laughs> so, so it, it hurts. Those little things hurt. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it just goes to show, like, if you're talking about living abroad, there's always going to be things that bother you. There's going to be things that, you know, get on your nerves or it's, it's not all roses, right? The reality of living in another country is, is difficult sometimes. And you, you know, there is, like we're touching what you said, a sense of isolation, a sense of exclusion. And then, you know, you treat it differently, which is, I don't want to use the word discrimination, but they, you know, you are treated differently because you're a foreigner. Right. And I, I can understand that, but let me take you back to what you said before, because 
you know, what you were talking about, the, the basically the unconscious or now conscious bias that we bring from our own cultures. And I really like what you said, because it takes a lot of um, self-awareness and honesty and, you know, and, and really, I guess, respect for yourself and for the other culture to say, well, I brought these biases with me and I don't like them and they suck, but they're there. Right. And I'm living with that. And it's, you know, I've felt them too, to a degree, you know, like, I, I just want to know if like concisely, have you, have you found a solution for that? Have you found a way for you to open up, be more patient? What is the, is, is there any way that you can work through that? Is there a solution to, to, to get rid of, or just to, to leave those biases behind? Or do you feel like you're, you're going to have them at some degree forever? That's a great and challenging question. <laughs> um, well, I think that like what I can personally do is just meditate and pray. And what I mean by meditate is just to be quiet, quiet my mind, because the mind will just boil over and all these ideas will start to like expound and compound and grow upon one another. And this is where the irritation comes in. So I'd say quieting the mind, taking time to just silence everything, the outside, the culture you're in and the culture within, you know what I mean? So I think that that's important. And then, um, I will say one more thing, but like prayer. And when I say prayer, it doesn't have to be to a God. It's like a mantra, right? You can just say to yourself, uh, uh, I, you know, I am blessed. This country is wonderful. These people are great. So just do a mantra to myself to keep reminding me that I do love the Thai culture and I am married into it. So I do love it. And so I, you know, can I shake these biases that I've brought in with me? Uh, I don't know for sure. You know, I, I don't know. I'm still grappling with that. But I think that, you know, I'm reading a book about habits, right? Uh, it's a pretty interesting book about habit formation and that and, and neurology, right? And so the brain, my brain was developed it with specific biases and expectations and because it just grew that way. And there are like synapses and, uh, uh, neurologic connections that when something goes against what, what is expected, there's that bit of uncomfort. Right. Um, but, uh, he says in the book that you can rewrite these things. So it's, it is a lot about like meditation, uh, uh and mantra, like repeating to yourself, uh, maybe how you want to be. Um, and, uh, just, uh, yeah, so I haven't finished the book yet, but I know that you can rewire your brain even at our age. So, Stephen, maybe it is possible to actually eventually eliminate these biases. But, yeah, you got to remember that's 20, 20, uh, 20, more than 20 years of dismantling that I'm going to have to do, you know. And, I mean, yeah, so that's it, you know, that I, I hope that addressed it. Yeah, it definitely did. Cause you're talking about patience. You're talking about reframing things. You're talking about, um, you know, the, the power of the mind taking over, you know, a lot of those things are, they're just, like you said, their habits and the reactions and um, you know, how much of that is really in your control. Right. So, um, but I guess, you know, you're, you're applying strategies, you know, it's, I think uh, the meditation prayer, it's, it's all positive. I think, um, you know, in, in your, it's your journey as a, as an individual, as a traveler living in another country, it's a very personal thing. So I, I don't think it's, it's in my place to tell you how to do that. Um, but I will, I'm curious about what you said about being the black sheep also about, you said you're married, you're married to a Thai woman. Is this correct? 
Yes, I am. Yeah. And you do you still feel like an outsider? Do you feel like you're never going to be a tie, obviously never going to fit in? Like, how do you deal with this sense of exclusion and isolation while you're living in another country? You look different. You look very different. And you're, you're definitely the other. How do you process that in a positive way that allows you to move through that society and, and interact with a sense of empowerment, I guess, would be you know, the way that we try to do it, right? Yeah. And I think that's a big part of the challenge, right, is, is the isolation. So I am married to a Thai woman. And for the last two years, her mother uh, has lived with us to, to help us raise our kid. My wife, she likes to work. And she also has a job that she has to go back to work. So uh, so her mother came to, to um, live with us and she's been here for two years. So I live in a house where Thai is the most common language spoken. Um, yet I have been ignorant enough uh, and lazy enough to avoid learning Thai. But I don't just feel like an outsider uh, in the streets of Bangkok or at my school, because I'll tell you right now, we are treated differently at our school. There's a double standard going on. But at my house, even, I feel like, you know, I just pay the bills. I, I put food on the table. I clean. I, I do a lot of the laborist stuff around the house. But in the end, I feel like sometimes it's not my house. And to be honest, it's actually not. <laughs> because in Thailand, which, this is something that you can look at two ways. And I look at it from the Thai way. I think the Thai people are absolutely brilliant in this. And what they do is they, the, the you can, foreigners cannot own land. You cannot own Thai land. And so, you know, at first I was like, what? Because in the US, if you have money, anybody can buy it from anywhere in the world can buy land, right? If, if So we sell our land to whoever has the most money, whereas Thailand doesn't. So I truly respect that about Thailand. Um, but then you hear stories of like marriages gone wrong, right? And 20 years of paying into this house. And now, well, it's not yours. It never will be. Uh, now I could own the house, but I couldn't own the land. Okay. So, but you know, <laughs> the house is on the land, right? So you, you can be evicted from the land. So it's complicated, but I do respect that. I really do. Um, because I think that the people like should be a, you know, only the people of the area that, you know, um, should be able to own the land. I don't think foreigners should be able to come in and buy up land like that. So I do agree with that. But back to like my, you know, I have that in my conscience, right? Like I, I know that this is not my house. I mean, it's supposed to be. My wife promises me it is and and I trust her, um, but it's not, right? So I'm not going to get the benefits in my taxes uh, for writing off this house, um, even though I pay the majority of the mortgage. Um, but yeah, so even like at my school, man, there's a double standard. So when foreign teachers leave the campus for any reason, they have to sign out right on a piece of paper, but Thai teachers do not. Uh, and so within the culture, there's this like, uh, you know, it depends on your perspective, but if you think about it, you do feel isolated. You do feel judged. You do, you do kind of feel like that's unjust. Like I work here. I've worked here for three years. I pay taxes. I pay a lot of taxes. I take care of their children. Um, and I love to, and I'm passionate about it, but yet there's a different standard for me. Uh, or all foreigners than there are for the Thai people. Um, and I guess that's the part of the isolation. You know, you start feeling like 
you know, I'm going to go out on a really strange limb and I hope this isn't bad or doesn't offend anybody or doesn't try to like paint myself as like a person of understanding for what others go through. But I've had these thoughts that sometimes I feel like what it may have been like to be uh, black in the United States uh, posts, you know, around the sixties or seventies or eighties, or maybe even today, you know, I don't know. Like I grew up in a place where we don't really like, but it's Alaska is very different than the rest of the United States. Um, but I started to feel like I understood what it was like. I, I feel like I have a sense of what these people have been through. This this isolation, this is I'm not equal, even though this is my you know home and I live here and I I do everything that you guys do, but I'm still treated differently. And so I hope that wasn't too vague uh, or like, you know, like presumptuous, but I do like have that feeling like I know what it's like now to be um someone that is different and that has a, there's a double standard. There's a standard for me and uh, other foreigners. And then there's a standard for the Thai people. And the standard for us is much harder. It's much more, uh, it's a lot more steps to go through. You know, it's a lot harder to get things done. Um, yeah. And so I guess that's, that's how I feel, um, that, you know, that crossed my mind. And from having this experience, it does make me want to eradicate that kind of behavior from the earth, right? Like whether it's in the United States, you know, we've had, you know, a lot of our people have had really rough experiences, even Asian Americans. Uh, so it's heartbreaking uh, when you start to think about, it's not just me. So I shouldn't be angry because this is happening all over the world. So I'm going to challenge you on this. Okay. Cause I think that like, I totally get where you're coming from in the sense of maybe a double standard and I definitely get where you're coming from in the sense of, you know, you're living in a house and there's another language being spoken and then you kind of feel excluded. And then they, they you know, so the language barrier is very real. But that's definitely when you, when you, uh, you, when you're disconnected from that, it's literally a barrier, right? It's a, it's a, it feels like an emotional barrier and even a physical barrier. So I think that's a real challenge, but, you know, I'm sure if there was Thai people listening or, other foreigner teachers listening, they might say, well, you know, you're in another country, you're in their country, you probably have a very high level of employability, your, your salary is probably much higher than a normal tie, you know, you probably get treated, you know, like, maybe they checking when you're coming in and out. But you know, maybe some ways, I would probably argue and correct me if I'm wrong, that you would get treated better, in some ways at the school that you teach at because you're a foreigner, and they want to keep you there. Like, do you feel like, okay, there's some ways I can definitely see the, the level of maybe a, a, there's an exclusion and you're definitely the other, but at the same way, do you feel, do you not feel that you're also extremely at an advantage uh, and have this, this edge in lots of different ways, employ, employability, uh, you know, status that a lot of ties haven't got. And aren't you using that to your favor? Yeah, that, that, that is a very, very great point. And Yes, uh, I do believe that I have specific benefits. You see, this is that, this is what I mean. Like, this is that challenging of myself. And, you know, I can get like, oh, humbub and feel bad about the little things that maybe I don't agree with. But no, you're absolutely correct, Steve. Uh, yeah, man, I have a lot of benefits, you know, like 
I, you know, my, I think that my, actually, I know that my working hours are less. I know that I make more money. Yes. Uh, now the Thai teachers do have like retirement, right. And pension, uh, which we do not. And they have full healthcare coverage, which we do not. But if, if, I think that if the the foreigner plays their cards correctly and lives more like a Thai, not like an extravagant Westerner, they could be still come out on top in a sense when it comes to financial and the access to jobs. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, I am lucky. We are treated more fair. <laughs> you know, I love hearing myself contradict. Uh, my other feelings, but this is what I'm talking about is the growth, the learning, right? And challenging my own biases. Um, but yeah, man, for sure. We work less hours. Absolutely. We get higher pay. Yes, indeed. Um, and I think we're even disciplined in a lighter fashion than a Thai uh, person would be, right? Like, I think that they'd be a lot more forceful, direct, and there'd be stronger repercussions, I guess, for the for the Thai individual as for me, because yeah, they don't they they know they're aware, right? The employer is aware that we come from this different um, background. So I think that's a great question, and that's why we do this, Stephen. That's why we do this because I, you know, it forces me to look at those things. And this is what I go back to the meditation into the mantra, right? I am blessed. I am. There are benefits to being me, right? Um, and I'll tell you right now, I, I got, I get, always get a job here in Thailand. I've had a, well, let's just say my two last jobs. I got my first job within like 14 days of being in Thailand. I was employed. Okay. And I, like you said, I was making, and it's the truth uh, uh, that I was making more money than the average Thai for sure. So the minimum wage is about, let's just round it up. It's 10,000 baht. The, the least I've ever made in Thailand is 40 42,000 baht, four times the minimum wage. Then I left for Alaska to go back. I got married and then I went to go stack some cheddar, doing some tourism on the, the icy straits of Alaska. And uh, I came back and I'd lost my visa. I had a job within seven days, a new job, a better job. And my wife still talks about this to this day. When she wants to complain on me, she'll say, well, one thing that I truly respect about you is your work ethic and your ability to get a job. So you're right, man. I'm lucky. I'm employable uh, because I am different, right? I, I provide something that I guess they need. Um, so excellent reflections. Thanks for bringing that up, Stephen. Yeah, you're welcome, man. And I guess like for the listeners, like it's it would be unfair to think that living in another country is is very simplistic and it'd be unfair to say that the emotional journey is something that's simplistic because we all have those if you're living abroad it's, it's going to challenge you emotionally you know economically you know culturally all these um on a personal professional level and it's it's there's a lot of emotion there and you have to move through it right and it's, it's stuff that you have to process and i really agree with what you said is that you know living in another country is everything about it is difficult right it's but that's why I love it because, you know, even reading the street signs, you can't even read the street signs if, unless they're translated to English in Thailand. So everything's um, challenging. But I want to take you like there's, there's that sense of isolation, which I think is really worth talking about and the family life. Um, but before I get back to that, I want to ask you, like, do you think at some level, because I've had this conversation with other expats that, that 
you know, from an economic point of view, like you're actually making a huge sacrifice because you could be in the United States and you could be making dollars and, you know, you could be buying houses and acquiring equity. Like, how do you feel about that concept of living in another country is an economic sacrifice? And is it a sacrifice or is it something that, you know, really when you're living in another country, it's not something that you should think about because you're there for the holistic experience. And if you were thinking about the money, you wouldn't be there anyway. Yeah. What do you feel like you're making some kind of economic sacrifice by not being in your home country, trying to stack cash or do you, or you do not think about it that way? Well, I typically don't think of it that way, but I do think of it, right? Because again, that's like part of like the way I was raised to think. Um, I don't know if I like the word sacrifice, but yeah, before I moved to Colombia, I was an electrician. And in and, and Alaska, we call, and I work for the union, okay, IBEW uh, Electrical Union. And uh, a lot of people call this the golden ticket, right? And so you, you, you can make a lot of money and retire very well, and your health coverage is the best, and everything is fantastic for sure. So on a solely economic standpoint, I think I, I, like I said, I don't want to know if I want to use the word sacrifice, but like, let's just use one of the definitions of sacrifice. Yeah, I guess, I guess I have uh, sacrificed that, uh, that golden ticket per se, right? Um, but at the same time, I think that it's possible to live well here. Uh, I just have to play my cards correctly. So over there, everything was done for me. Like I didn't have to think about investing. I didn't have to think about paying my insurance or choosing the right insurance. Uh, but here I do. Um, so I think that I could actually be sound financially and economically speaking if I play my cards right. I think in some ways uh, I could do just as well. Okay. Now, I don't know exactly about the electrical gig, but the gig before that, let's say working for the state of Alaska as an accountant, uh, that gig, I think I can retire. If I start now and I work my butt off and I just live a humble life, like an average Thai person, um, that I can retire comfortably. Now, the only issue is to, to, to if I had to go back to the United States, right? Like if I was forced to go to Alaska, which is very expensive to live. Well, then uh, it would be it would be complicated. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that people should think about that though, right? Like, because I could be hit by a bus tomorrow, especially in Bangkok. <laughs> Driving here, I might be dead next week. This might be the last podcast. Uh, so. Uh, you know, I think that we should live in the moment, live right now, but I do think we should kind of be mindful of the future. And, you know, if I stay with my family and I don't go out and party, we'll all do well. We'll live a good life and I will have enough to retire. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, a yeah, that's interesting. Because I think what you're saying there is like, you can have the best of both worlds, right? You can still create a good life in another country if you're relatively responsible and you live to your means. And that's, you know, fair enough. It, we all have this inherent social conditioning. Uh, I think you speak of as well. And like, you're told this is what it means to be successful, gather wealth and you should have this. And when you break out of that mold, it's not always, you know, considered to be, a, you know, you, you easily people criticize you. 
you know, and, or it's, or we criticize ourselves and we, it's, it's, I think it's hard to break out of that mold and hard for ourselves, ourselves to break out of that matrix of, you know, I should be doing this and I should be acquiring wealth, but, you know, it sounds like you've come to peace with it at, you know, come to peace with it. And, and like you said, it's, it's, you know, I guess are the experiences that you're having as a teacher contributing to that country, being immersed in another culture, you know, being married to a, a Thai woman and, you know, having children and having those kind of beautiful experiences, isn't that in itself another type of currency that you're really buying into that you consider to be superior to just making cold, hard American dollars? Cold, hard American dollars. Uh, yes. And I think this is where you and I agree uh, big time is that experiences, right? And the quality of life in the moment is in, in, in many ways, it outweighs that, like the American dream, right? Like you work a job that you don't truly love, like electricity. I was just working with men every day, right? And when you just have men that work together only, men just act like boys. Um, it would, and, you know, you know, so... <laughs> I think the experiences that I'm having, I live, my quality of life is very, I would say it's pretty, pretty damn good. And uh, the experiences are much more important as a currency for me um, than the, the, the card, the whole cold, hard dollar, right. Uh, than the financial, uh, the quality of life in Thailand is actually really good. And I would argue that as long as you work hard, especially for a foreigner like me who gets paid a decent wage, right? Um, the quality of life is, it can't really be beat um, in the US. I, I don't think unless you're like Mark Zuckerberg or something and you're balling out big time. I think the average American quality of life isn't that great, um, comparatively speaking. Okay. Uh, so yeah, man, I think that my life is fascinating. I prefer these experiences, these challenges over money and financial, <clears throat> uh, stability, um, any day, any day. Yeah. Cause I'm growing, I'm growing in ways and I'm <clears throat> super blessed to, to have my, you know, the, the family I have. Um, and it's, yeah, man. I'm not I'm kind of loss of words right now because I'm actually being more reflective on how lucky I am. So, well, actually that brings me to my next question because I was going to ask you about, you know, your family, because, you know, talking about new experiences, you know, you're like, you've, you've got a family now, you're married, you've got a, a son, correct? Yes. Yes. A son. He's almost, he'll be two in about seven weeks. Yeah. Like what, that's that's amazing like and and this is your, um from what you've told me before it's your first family so it's a, a totally new experience like how you know like how how is this experience of having a family in another country and you know how does it make it uh i guess more difficult is there other layers to think about but just i guess how is it generally like you you know you sound like you're you're very grateful for what you've built. So you're building a, you're not just building a job, you're building a life, you're supporting other people. You talk about the, the mortgage and the, you know, the house and the, the lifestyle. There's a, you know, we spoke about some negative things about isolation and, and being the other, but on the other hand, it sounds like there's also some beautiful things as well. So what is it like to have a family in Thailand and have a Thai wife and, and have a, 
a son that's you know blended in two cultures that you're responsible for and you get to love and take care of yeah man um great thanks for asking that um it's it's amazing it's like i said before about being in my home you know and there's these challenges these biases that are hard to break down right or to to, to accept the the differences <clears throat> But man, it is a great, great experience. You know, I've never seen people that were, I mean, Columbia is really good too, but the commitment to children, the love of children here is so amazing, man. I, like I said, I have my mother-in-law living here and don't think for one minute that she really wants to be here. She comes from the countryside. She's surrounded by, you know, she, they have a farm, a beautiful house, a lot of space. It's quiet. They got chickens. They got cows. They got rice fields. They grow their own onions and garlic and morning glory. Oh, man, the list goes on. And she has a husband that she misses dearly. Now, that brings me to the to, to, to what, respond to what you said. I, I feel this amazing um, eye-opening, like this, this, just this, it's different, I feel like, than, than what I've seen in the U.S. The commitment to the child here is so amazing. So it's something that's made me really embrace the Thai culture. Uh, um, my the grandmother's here, and she all she does all day is watch after my son. And I don't think anybody would do that. Not even in my family in the USA, <laughs> you know, like I just don't, I don't think so, man. Like, um, <clears throat> so it's, it's fascinating. I get to see how they raise children in some ways it's different. There's a lot more leniency here. So that is one battle, uh, conflict that I have to learn how to communicate better, but I want to be a little more strict, right? Um, this is a coddling. Uh, so that love and compassion for children leads to us a, a bit of coddling, right? Uh, so spoiling of children, uh, which can have negative side effects if they're not like addressed, but the balance, right? The balance. I do want my son to be as loving to children as the Thai people are. And I don't think the American, uh, you know, they love, we love our children, but just the commitment to them is not the same. Uh, so I don't want my son to lose that. I'm glad we have that. Uh, and my son gets to grow up, man, he gets to grow up in a life where <clears throat> he gets to see people practicing different religions, speaking different languages. I think my son is empowered because of that. And, you know, if grandma wasn't here, I think the Thai language would be almost minimal. So my son actually wouldn't be learning the Thai language. So I've struggled with this. I've lived alone most of my life, but I've learned to think about it differently. And now I know I'm benefiting big time. Um, so it's a great experience, man, but always a challenge, right? Always a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the mother-in-law. Um, yeah, you have another reckoning force in the house to contend with. And that, that can be a, a battle of egos and a battle of power. But talking about your son, man, that's so interesting. He's, he's a year and a half, did you say? Almost two years old? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's almost two. He'll be two in like about seven weeks, I think. Right. You must have so many like hopes and dreams and ideas for your son. 
Um, like, what do you, what, what do you think about what are your hopes and dreams and ideas that you want for him? And like, um, how, how has opportunities opened up when he's got he, potentially his foot, like his feet in two worlds, you know, in the Thai world and the Thai culture, speaking Thai, then also his dad's from the United States. He's got a, I assume he's got a, a passport from the United States. He's, he'll be dual citizen. You know, what do you, where do you want him to be educated? You know, what do you want him to embrace? Do you want, how do you feel about the, the languages that he speaks? And, you know, do you want him to live in the States? And do you want him, what do you want for this kid? Like, what are your hopes and dreams for him? Yeah, man, that's a great question. A very, very loaded question, <laughs> uh, of course, uh, or the response could be loaded, but, you know, I've, I've, okay, so I've gone back and forth, but you know, there's parts of me in my biases that I want him to be closer to Western culture than to Thai culture, right? But this is the biasy. But what do I really want from him? Well, let me just argue against myself. I actually don't want that. I want him to have a balance and understanding of, of dual cultures and dual citizenry and to be a global citizen. So that's what I want for my son, first and foremost, is to be a global citizen, okay? Not to be bound necessarily by nations, right? And I don't want him to be feel bound by uh, specific cultures. I want him to embrace his cultures, both Thai, uh, Asian, and then American and Italian, right? He's got an Italian last name, so that's going to throw him off when he gets older. Uh, but that's what I want. I want the best thing for him, and I want him to grow up in this, like, I believe, so I'm kind of, I guess you can say, I fall under the categorization of a, a, a Christian types, because I do read the Bible, and I do believe in the stories of the Bible. Um, and my wife is a Buddhist, and so uh, that's her beliefs. And, and I'll tell you, man, I want him to, this is a beautiful experience. I want him to understand that two people from two different, drastically different philosophies can come together, become one, share ideals, uh, understand, accept, and support each other, even though there's these huge differences. So I want my son, um, I wouldn't say I want him to live in the United States, but I wouldn't say I want him to live in Thailand for the rest of his life. I want to empower him with this ability to be able to be mobile and go wherever he wants to go. Uh, but to never forget his family, of course, uh, because what Thai people have taught me uh, is that family is, you know, inseparable. It's inseparable here. Um, and uh, we can say that in the States, but it's, you know, it's not really, it's more of a statement than an actuality. Uh, so that's what I want for him, man. I would like him to study at an international school so he can, again, be immersed in a variety of cultures, variety of philosophies, and then he can synthesize his own. Um, but of course, let's, let's go back to just the basic instincts of a father. Of course, I want him to be financially well off. Of course, I want him to make the right decisions um, and to be treated fairly. Um, and uh, that's a different topic. Like, I, I, you know, he's not going to be a pure Thai in Thailand, but I wouldn't want to put him like take him to the U.S. really. Um, I mean, I, I want to take him there, but to live right permanently. I don't know about that. He has choices, man. He's got a, he can, he's a Thai citizen and an American citizen. So this kid's lucky dude. <laughs> or blessed. I use the word luck. I know some people don't like that word, but this is Thailand. It's all about luck, buddy. 
yeah i still get the sense that you know to be honest that you you're still you're gonna find it hard and maybe if he if he makes a choice that you feel like he shouldn't make because maybe you have an idea in your head that you know by being educated in the states it's um it's going to be beneficial for him or being a, a global citizen citizens better and do you feel like it's going to be really hard if, if he kind of throws all that out the window and and maybe chooses something that's radically different to an ideal expectation that you you have currently in your in your in your in your mind Oh, yeah, of course. You know, I can say that I want my son to be able to make his own choices and do what he wants and to be free and this and that. But I think that deeply in, inside of all parents, our ideal for what is good and uh, beneficial is going to be different than his, right? Uh, he's going to have a different perspective. And when it goes against my grain of understanding, I think there will be uncomfort, discomfort, and frustration, and maybe even anger at times, right? But I think that's part of being a human is definitely part of being a family. Uh, you can't avoid that. You know, we, we are one unit with individuals, you know, that have different ideas about what they want. And I, I know that's going to be a challenge, but I'm yeah. trying to prepare myself for that. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate your honesty. Cause I think that's a tough question. Um, do you feel like he's going to have uh, a huge identity crisis in when he's, you know, 12, 13, 14. And, and when he's kind of figuring out who he is as a person, you said that he's not full, fully tied. So, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's mixed in that sense. You know, do, do you feel like that's going to cause a little bit of um, maybe inner conflict or external conflict or do you think that he won't really encounter an identity crisis and it was just, he'll just, um, I guess, join the, and just, I guess, conform, I guess, or just be part of that Thai culture and it'll be like smooth, fluid sailing. That's a complex question because it's, it's, it's the experience that he will have. Right. So I can't think of it from my perspective, but I, I think it is possible, but as long as I think that as long as we bring him up to respect and love both cultures that his parents come through uh, and follow uh, the, the rules um, of the community he's living in. I think he will be okay. I, I do. As long as we stay together, mother and father, and he has his family here, grandma, grandpa, cousins, I think he'll be wholesome. I think he'll be strong and, and, and I think he'll be okay. Now, like I said, I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, right now, uh, the, you know, everybody thinks he's beautiful. Like people know he is the best looking kid in the neighborhood because they, I, he looks different, right? He's not, he, he has mixed blood and people are attracted to that. Now, I think that maybe that could cause problems in the future. I don't know, right? Like if uh, he ever says, yeah, I'm American and he's in Thailand, well, he's going to be judged, right? Because they're going to be like, oh, you're like, so you're not a Thai, right? So I just want him to embrace that. Um, I think if as long as his parents stay together, as long as we teach him to respect all people and all cultures and all religions uh, and make his own choice, but to always respect the community that he is in at that given moment, I think he will be fine. Um, you know, I believe that if people have this concept, now this is my personal belief, so I hope I don't push people away, but if people have a concept of, of a God, 
I believe that this can remove those identity crises in many ways because it gives you this umbrella, right? You're like, someone might say, oh, you're an American. Oh, you're a, you're a Thai or this or that. And you could just say, you know, you know, I'm, no, I'm just, uh, we're all children of God, right? So this idea that there's we are one family, that there is somebody that's there that really loves you and wants the best for you. I think it can remove some of those uh, conflicts of identity, uh, but at the same time, it's not that easy, is it? It's not that easy because we're shaped by our surroundings and he's gonna be at school around other kids. He's gonna be walking his own um, path here through the world and making his own decisions and understandings of what he experiences. Yeah, especially in these adolescent ages, trying to trying to figure out like you know who he yeah. is and uh, his identity. And I love the idea of transcending, you know, nationality and culture, even by saying, you know, we are all, you know, we're all human. We're all part of the one culture. We're all part of the the culture of the human race. We're all part of. I think it would be hard though with the code, the God uh, concept because everybody believes people believe in different gods. But I, I love that idea of transcending this. We are all like. I don't know, spiritual beings under, a, you know, but it's, I think it's a great point. Um, and we should, I, I like, I love that transcend past that, but it's, it's like you said, it's hard when there's so much cultural, cultural conditioning. It's an yeah. ideal. It's just an ideal to transcend above and beyond because ultimately we are within the walls and the confines. Right. So it's just this, uh, we are within these laws of um, identity, you know, yeah. so it, it's a romantic belief uh, for sure. <laughs> but I, I, I still see it as very valuable because I think that even if you're aware of that, then you understand that, you know, maybe in, in one culture, it's, it's different to another culture and that are we really defined by our cultural identity? I think it's an excellent point. Let me ask a random question. What, what things do you like, what moments do you have in Thailand that you like, oh, I'm so blessed right now, like random things that happen to you or moments. Do you have, um, do you have these particular experiences where you feel like they're just like beautiful, enriching moments that you would not have if you're in the States in the, you know, maybe in more of the monotonous type environment, do you have them occasionally those type of moments or are you, you find yourself uh, in, in the sort of, um, I don't know, monotony of, of work and, you know, routine. Do you still have those moments or not so much? Yes, I do. Yes, I, I really do. Um, just the, 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 I guess the looking at the fact that I'm able to do this. And like I told you, I could retire. I mean, I'm, I'm living in Thailand. I have a very comfortable home. Last two weekends ago, I went and bought a scooter, uh, zero interest for 10 months, excellent price, right? So I'm, I, I am very lucky and I have a Thai wife. So even though I'm shut out to an extent of certain aspects of living here, I actually have access to all of it and I have great benefits through her. Um, but yes, you know, like I was looking up at the stars last night um, and we're lucky enough, we live far enough from the center that we can see the stars. So I was looking at Orion and uh, some other constellations and I could see Saturn and Jupiter in the sky. And I just, I, I it made me think like this world, like, right? Like I, I'm from Alaska, dude, it's so far away, man. And uh, here I am looking at these same stars, uh, these same constellations, tens of thousands of miles away. Um, and I'm still okay. 
Um, and I have a, a son, right. And a, a wife and, um, yeah, you know, I could go, I, I still love to travel, even though I'm a family man now, you know, I can go, I'm so blessed, man. I can go to India. Um, well, let's wait, let COVID ease up a little bit, but like supposedly like the Philippines is lifting and Thailand is lifting quarantines completely, uh, starting February 1st, I can get to most of these nations for under, you know, a couple hundred bucks round trip. And these are very, I mean, this part of the world is fascinating, man. It's like so diverse and such a small area, right? We have India, we have China, we got Australia, we got New Zealand, we got Singapore, we have the Philippines and Vietnam. It's just, and some of these cultures are so drastically different. I mean, it's fascinating, man. It is fascinating. And I look around and I see people getting along wearing turbans and burkas and ball caps, right? And everybody's getting along and everybody's in harmony. Uh, that is a blessing, man. I live, I feel like almost in the center of the world, man. <laughs> it almost feels like that, man. And like, yeah, man, uh, I, my sister's husband's from Africa. So like, I feel like I'm in the most diverse situation, even though I say I feel like a black sheep, I feel like I'm in the most diverse uh, situation I've ever been in. And I have access to all the cultures of the world. And I find that super, like a super big blessing in my life. Cause it kind of like leads back to who I think I am or who I want to be. And that is the global uh, person that cares and, and understands and respects all. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And I guess while we're on this positive note, like, uh, like this tangent that we're going on is, you know, what would you say that you've gained as a, as an individual, as a traveler, as a person, or like how has, you know, living in another country, living in another country, change your perspective in a positive way. What have you gained and how has it kind of changed your perspective? Okay. That's a good one. I'm glad you brought that up. So I think it's made me more rather than thinking about being more compassionate and more loving, it's actually putting me into the shoes of like the average uh, or, you know, of the people that I'm living amongst, right? So rather than just understanding them, I'm actually starting to feel with them. And I think that that's so important, you know? So I think that I am growing uh, a lot still every day. I think I have a lot of uh, room to grow, but I want to say one thing. So when I first came here, uh, you know, it's good. It's okay to negotiate and to haggle, right? In, 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 in Southeast Asia, it's part of the culture actually. Um, but in my earlier days, I had this perspective and I guess, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like, let me just say, I felt like I was always being overcharged, right? Uh, I, this is just, and then foreigners talk about this. So we would use this haggling, uh, to try to get the best price we could get. Right. And, um, and it became rather selfish, but I still haggle, but not nearly in the way I used to. And sometimes I actually like to pay the full price that they ask. I just, I'm starting to just say, yes. Okay. I'll take it. Um, my best friend, one of my best friends, uh, he's probably, I guess I could label him my best friend, uh, came here and I told him, you know, make sure you always negotiate. 
But then within 20 minutes, I was like, oh, what did I do? Why did I tell him that? Because he was haggling everybody, right? Like everybody at the market. And, you know, Neil, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, right? He, he has this saying in one of his interviews that he saw someone haggling the hell out of somebody in Latin America while he was there. Um, and he said, why, 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 why um, wouldn't you just pay what they have? I mean, or what they're asking, right? If they're asking for it, they probably need it. Uh, so he, he kind of opened my eyes to this, but I put that on the back burner. And then once I saw somebody in the process, I was like, this woman probably has made 300 bot all day in profits. And it just, it, like I said, it, it's, these are the challenges, man, that make me say, okay, um, pay full price. I used to not tip like as much, but due to COVID, I feel like I'm tipping more now. And I think it's a good reason because these are the people I live around and if they're happier, so am I, uh, but that's the growth, right? That's the thing I'm talking about. Um, is that it's changed me rather than it's them versus me. Also, I, I think I'm looking for harmony for the we, right? You know, uh, this is a way in which I'm growing. So the first year or two, no way. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm haggling the hell out of everybody. Now I'm like, fair enough, right? The, a lot of people, especially with the economy the way it is now, um, are suffering and they need someone to just be willing to, you know, help them out. And so I see that differently. I don't see them as trying to take advantage. They're just trying to make ends meet, right? And so if they can seal up the day in the last hour by raising the price a little bit, uh, I, I think it's okay. It's, it's, this is the thing is I feel like it's hard to understand that, right? Uh, it was hard for me to understand, but now it's not. I think I went on too long with that. Basically, I'm starting to feel like I'm more a part of them and that I want them to be successful and happy as well as me, not just me versus them. Yeah, there's a lot of really good ideas there. And like sometimes, you know, if, you, if you're paying a bit more and it's within, you know, if it's kind of reasonable, then I guess it's not the end of the world. I guess the indignation comes from if you're getting flat out ripped off, but like double price or something, right? 30% extra because you're a foreigner, you know? And I, I imagine that once you've been in the area for a while, you kind of know roughly the prices and you, you know, but I guess it's, it's a great point that a lot of foreigners don't realize is, you know, if I give them a little bit more, it's like basically tipping them. They're happy. I'm happy. You know, you've given them a bit more. They, they know as well. And they probably know that, you know, um, but it's, it's really, it's, it's really like, if anything, creating good karma and good energy. Like, you know, I give money on the streets all the time. And my wife says, you know, why do you give money? And I'm like, you know, they're, she's like, they're drug addicted people. And they're, you know, they're just going to use that to buy more drugs or, or the, you know, and the probably, they probably are, but at least you can alleviate a little bit of pain. And I feel like, you know, just, just paying a little bit more, doesn't really hurt anyone um, as long as it's reasonable. Right. And there's a time and place for it, but there's, it's definitely not, I don't think it's worth getting, you know, indignant about and causing that toxicity. Cause then you're a victim all the time. And then, you know, it's, everyone's discriminating you. And it's just like, why are you there? If every, every, every time it's a battle, right. Um, yeah. And this brings me to my next point. And this is a philosophical point. So I want to say, like, I'm just going to throw this at you because it's something that I'm struggling with a little bit as a foreigner. 
you know, when we, when we're born in a country, I'm, I was born in Australia, you in the States, you kind of win the lottery, right? You win the lottery. It is 8 billion people. You're born in a developed country, a rich country. You have access to a lot of things that people don't have. Now, do you, like, why do I need to go to another country into a developed country, like into a developing country and see poverty and see people struggling to feel a sense of gratitude? You know, do, do we only have that gratitude because we have more than them? Like, I don't know how I should feel about that. You know, have you thought about, you know, this, we're in another country and it's like, yeah, if you want to, if you want to experience poverty, go to India to see poverty or go to Thailand to see how the majority of people live. And that should make you great, you know, you know, grateful and blessed. Like, I just don't know about that. I just feel like, why do we need to compare ourselves or is the gratitude, you know, have you thought about that as a concept of like, you know, I'm in a developed country, I'm in a developing country and I feel more grateful because I've got things that they haven't. And is that really the, um, the backbone of or the, the premise to feeling gratitude or should we more realize that, or should we have a, a mindset that, you know, there's probably lots of things that the, the everyday man and woman in Thailand has that we don't have, they have a different way of living and we should all be grateful to what we have. I don't know. Have you thought about that? I know it's a tangent. I guess I do. Yeah, I do feel blessed in many ways. And did do I need the stark contrast to 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 be aware? Um, well, I'm a pretty like um, emotional. I forgot the word Al used the other day, but I'm a compassionate person, and like I can cry for movies. Like if I think about the the, the experiences of others. Uh, it will send me in an emotional state. And I think that's a good thing. You know, somebody might say that's weak, but no, I just feel what others feel. But so I think I, like, I guess I had it before I left, but then, yeah, it's hard. That's a hard question, man, actually. Like, do I need to have seen what I've seen here in Thailand to, to have that gratitude? I think in some ways, yes, right? Because in the United States, like I said, we have our horse blinders up. Our our, our knowledge of the world is limited, um, and you know, there's a lot of people in the in the U.S. that like I have people in my family that just didn't want to work, you know. But I guess we have people like that here too. But uh, you know, yeah, Stephen, I'm gonna just sum this up by saying one example is that the average American only has to work a 40 hour work week. And if they work any more than that, they get overtime, um, which well, gives them more pay. Whereas uh, the average worker here will work about 50, 60 hours a week and they won't make that much money. So to be aware of that, to be aware that some people are working six tens and still barely making ends meet, it makes me appreciate, yeah, I feel blessed from where I came, but that doesn't mean that I should run back. It doesn't mean I should go back. Maybe there's something we can do where we're at here, you know? So that's a very hard question though. It, actually, it is for me to think about at the moment. So I hope I gave you something. Yeah, and you have, and I, I tend to agree with you because it's not your fault that you know, you've come from where you've come from. You know, it's not your fault that people are suffering. But to ignore it feels unjust and to feel it seems just and to give it, like you said, that awareness and that compassion and that empathy. So it's like, okay, I've, you know, we live in different worlds. I've come into this world and now I know what it's really like and I should feel grateful for the things that I have. So I think that's a, that's a, you know, pretty positive stance. Um, 
I've got another question that I think is a hard question too, because, you know, if I talk to my dad about this, he's, he's got lots of answers. Um, but I would say, what is it when you're living abroad in another country, what do you lose? What do you, what do you not, um, what do you miss out on? What do you, let's use the word sacrifice, you know, what things hurt you about living abroad and especially living abroad for, for a long time. Cause I think that's a real question that needs to be addressed. Um, because the, I, I feel like it, making that tough decision comes with a certain amount of natural consequences and it's not always positive. Yeah. Family. I think that's what we sacrifice the most is um, our family. And I think that I forget sometimes that they, they love me and they care about me. So I think that's the biggest sacrifice, right? We take on a new role and we come over here and, uh, you know, we, I, I forget that my mother's probably thinking about me every single day. My mother has always wanted a grandson, yet she's never met hers, who is almost two years old. Um, you know, my mother had, I had to call up friends to send them over to her house because her car's doors were frozen shut and it was a snowstorm and she couldn't get out to go to the store. And I just felt bad. Yeah, that's yeah. tough. Yeah, that's tough. So not, not being there for my family is the worst thing, um, you know, and wanting to help, you know, uh, you know, the communities that raised me. So I'm sacrificing that. I'm not a part of my communities that raised me and made me who I am. And um, I'm not there for my parents. That's pretty rough, man. I actually teared up a little bit thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. And I can understand that. And I, I like, you know, I'm in a similar situation. You know, my, my daughter is three months old and, you know, I've got nieces and nephews that I've never seen before. And, you know, my family's growing up and I'm come from a big family and it's, it is tough. It's, it's a real, um, again, to use that word sacrifice. It's just, it, you are away and you, you can't contribute to the group, the pack and, and the family. Um, but hopefully, you know, maybe we find the balance between giving our energy here and there and, and, and find solace in the sense that, you know, they they are independent, wholesome people and they, you know, they have their own families and their own people to love them, protect them. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's what I tell myself that helps me deal with that because, you know, my, my family, my brothers and sisters are grown up now and they've got, they're married and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's when it's your parents, man, it's still hard. And your, you know, your, your son, um, you just got to get her over there, bro. Get her over there. And, you know, you I'm sure you'll get back there as well when you're ready. And, um, be able to reconnect and she'll have such an amazing experience to see her grandson with you. That's going to be a, such a beautiful moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on a light note to alleviate any of that sadness that I made, <laughs> my mom is planning on coming. She should be here in uh, she should be here in April, early April. And I'll have like a, my summer vacation, which is very short. It's like a three week vacation, but at least I'll have three weeks. I'm going to take her traveling with my family um, and she will stay for as long as possible. So we're talking at least three months, maybe six months, who knows? Um, and that's a really positive thing. Now I am like, again, now we, we, the, here's the flip side of that is that she's leaving her brothers and sisters behind in the States to come here. And then she's going to be in a neighborhood where, 
well, when I'm working and my wife is working, she'll be alone. She'll be with my son. And he, he understands English, dude. Like he's getting better and better every day. So she'll have him. And I think that will give her meaning every day, but there will, I feel like she'll get bored. And I explain this to her. Like, I think I don't want you to get bored. I don't want you to get lonely. Uh, we'll hang out every single day, but there is that 10 hour window, right. Where we're just not around. Uh, but she just assured me, like, how could you get bored with your grandson? So, so super positive note, my mom will be here. Uh, she loves Thailand. Um, she hasn't endured it for a long period of time, but she, she loves Thailand and we'll show her the best of it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I guess we should get close to wrapping this up. So like, I guess for our listeners, because we're, we're, we're um, getting there on the time, like, how would you sum up, like, how would you sum up living abroad if you were to talk to someone and they said, look, I'm, I'm and they would ask you, look, I'm thinking of living abroad. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of excited to do it, but I'm kind of scared. What would you say to them as advice or are you sharing your ideas to them about what it's like to live abroad? Yeah, if, if, if they wanted to. So I might ask them why they wanted to and what they were looking for. But I would tell them that it is a journey like no other and that it is uh, that roller coaster that if you're wanting to live abroad, you will be going, there will be highs and highs where you're flying high, feeling great. But then there's going to be some, you know, around from time to time, there'll be some pretty darn uh, deep lows, you know, uh, because that's just part of it. You know, that's just part of like the culture shock. But I would say it's doable. It's beneficial. And just bring with you uh, your love and your patience. And uh, no matter what happens, they will benefit from their experience and they will grow. So that's really it. Yeah. So you're saying that, I guess, if you're in the right frame of mind and be, to be open to it, you will benefit um, if you're willing to take on the, the journey. Absolutely. Yeah. You'll benefit guaranteed no matter what your perspective, but just to alleviate some of those frustrating, those lows, if we bring our heart, our passion and our patience and acceptance with us, and we, we put that into our mantra, our chant that we remind ourselves. I think we can eliminate some of those moments of the lows. Right. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you're going to grow no matter what the experience is going to be like something you've never experienced before. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I would have thought that being in another country is, is probably one of the easiest ways to grow as rapidly because you're forced to, as you said, deal with a bunch of different challenges and you're out of your comfort zone. And does, I guess, does it ever stop being out of your country? You know, it's when you're in a country like Thailand, a big city, another language, you know, it's, do you ever, do you ever stop growing? Do you ever sort of feel like you've got it under control? And, you know, you've, it's, it's, I imagine it gets easier, but I, I imagine you're still kind of dealing with challenge, little challenges every day. Yeah, I think it gets easier. I think the little, the smaller challenges maybe dissipate and evaporate completely, but there's always going to be something there because like I said, you can't really uproot those first 25, 30 years of your life. Like you, that's almost half your life and you can't really eradicate those. You can't, you can't disappear them. They can't be taken out completely. Um, but I do believe it gets easier and um, uh, yeah, like I even fear going back to the U.S. sometimes, like the reverse culture shock. Um, but I think 
there will always be challenges. Um, but I do think we learn how to handle them. Yeah. I guess one last thing, because you've touched on something that's really interesting to me is that, you know, you, now you have this mindset of like the, I guess, an international traveler of a global citizen. And, you know, it's, I, I know that it's probably going to be hard to go back and then try to explain these things that you've told me to somebody else and with, with them listening and understanding the value in, in being in another country. When I mean, we didn't really get to touch on much about, you know, you teaching abroad and what's that, what's, what your role is as a teacher and if the impact on the kids. And, you know, I know for a fact, there'd be a lot of value in that. And you could probably talk about that for a long time. Um, so I guess, you know, it's something to be, uh, I guess it's, it's, I guess another battle is, you know, going back home and, and um, you know, not, I don't want to say dealing with the mentality, but, you know, just, I guess, I don't know what you'd call that is trying to uh, connect with your home, you know, people from your home country and, and them being able to, to see the wealth in that, to, to share those experiences and for them to really understand because um, perhaps that they won't understand like and get it because they haven't done it like what you've done. Yeah, well, like that concept I mentioned, reverse culture shock, I think that we've opened Pandora's box, man. Here's the thing is, you know, the isolation, that feeling of misunderstanding and disconnectedness and maybe unex like an acceptance or whatever, I feel like now it could happen on the other end. So this is like interesting that you brought that up because I've, I know of it. I've experienced it already. And I don't think people want to know that unless they have that curious mind. So I told you before that I felt isolated when I went back to the States. Uh, I was working hard. I was in nature. It was beautiful. But those moments where I, I told you of like people going, man, you, your life is so awesome. Tell me about it. Oh, okay. Bartender, can I get another beer? Hey, what are we going to do tonight? Oh, oh, and they changed the subject. They actually didn't want to hear. So I feel like that is a very deep question, Stephen. I think that because of our experiences, yours and mine, because it's been so long, three, four, five years for you, like five years, right? You've been in Colombia, six I've, years? I've been there. I just, I just hit six years the other day. Holy cow. Yeah. So this is the dark side, man, of a bit, is that I think that we now have experiences and a perception that a lot of people actually cannot grasp. They will never be able to grasp unless they undergo the same experience. So sorry, man, but I think in a way we've kind of created another isolative state. Yeah. And this actually links right back into our previous podcast, which is Plato and the allegory of the cave. So if you're interested to know more about that, listen to that podcast. Yeah, cool. <laughs> That's right. and we, we did speak a lot about that right about different caves and being locked in and it's you know our own realities and i think that's very relevant here um yeah absolutely John, and i think you should check that out absolutely because it does connect definitely yeah definitely yeah definitely well john i want to say thank you for like like a deep sincere thank you for sharing all those thoughts and ideas because there's lots of stuff that you shared with me today i didn't know it's really personal and, you know, it's, we want to be, you know, obviously we want to be respectful to other people and other cultures. It can be sometimes, you know, sensitive territory. And I think you handled it very eloquently. Um, but I just really appreciate you taking the time to sit down, share those ideas, being real and honest and authentic. And, and hopefully there's some listeners out there that can get a bit of value out of that. So thanks very much for, for sharing your ideas. 
Yeah, as always, my pleasure, Stephen. It's been a, a great uh, reflective experience for myself as well. Cool to have you on, brother. All right, man. Have a good day. Later.